You know, it's uh, interesting, Mike, that you bring up the whole Syria thing because um, that thing's been going on for a long time. He said it's been going on for a few years. If you go back and try to map out exactly what's happening in Syria right now, Yeah, but even before that, they go back to 2011. But if you want to go back before that, Mike, we can go back to Genesis chapter 21. <laughs> uh, Genesis 21, Abraham had a, a child with his slave under the recommendation of his wife, Sarah, who was so old that she didn't think that she could bear children. So she told him to sleep with their servant, Hagar, and he did, and they bore a child named Ishmael. But that wasn't God's original plan for them. And so uh, eventually uh, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac as God planned for them. And Sarah got upset with Hagar and Ishmael because he was the firstborn to Abraham and probably had rights to whatever Abraham had. So Sarah said, send him away, and God said, okay, we're going to do that. So in Genesis chapter 21, God told Abraham to send Ishmael and Hagar away. And he promised at one point, you know, uh, Ishmael's about to die. And God says, Hagar... I promise that uh, Abraham that would have many descendants, so there will be many descendants from Ishmael. And so at this point, if you want to go and study Ishmael, uh, you can you can do a quick Google search and see that Ishmael is pretty much the uh, recognized father of 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 the Muslims. And the Lord pretty much knew that there was going to be enmity between the two Ishmael and Isaac for a long time to come and so we sit here and go 2011 2013 but the real deal is it's been foretold in the scripture long long time ago and you hope that there's an end to this that's coming but I promise you it's not coming until Jesus comes you can you can get all the presidents and make all the decisions and everything else you want but I promise you this has happened since then for like 3,000 years or so it's gone on and it will continue to go on until Jesus comes back that's just part of the prophecy if you take the whole scripture and you read it 66 books it's amazing that you have this historical book and people look at it as a fairy tale but the truth of the matter is it's been playing out before our very own eyes even to this very day. Even this morning as two churches in Egypt get bombed. Two churches in Egypt got bombed this morning. Like literally people dying as they go to church. And so uh, today I take that same 66 books and open it up to you and go, Let's take a little journey journey back. Let's take a little journey back. Not far as Genesis 21, but let's go to the next book in Exodus. And we know that the Israelites, the Jews, 
which are obviously a big part of this struggle that's going on today, uh, the Jews are taken into captivity by the Egyptians. And remember where God sent Hagar and Ishmael. It says he sent them to Egypt. Like, that's the first place that Ishmael went was... was it, Sometime this afternoon, just really seriously Google Ishmael and like go to Wikipedia and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. I know Wikipedia, you're like going, uh, but uh, just look. And so <clears throat> now, now the uh, Jews are taken into captivity by the Egyptians. They're being used as slaves for hundreds of years, and it's miserable. They're dying, they're oppressed. There, it, it's not much different than chemical warfare. I mean, it's that bad. And so this has gone on for generations that the Egyptians have like, have just like pummeled the Jews. And don't get me started, but we could go through the history books and see how many times the Jews have been pummeled. And it's mainly because if you take the Old Testament, that, that those first books of our, our Bible right there, and you'll see God says, hey, look, if you'll do this, I promise you blessings. I promise you cake. <laughs> I promise you. But if you're disobedient, then there's going to be this curse that's upon you, and you won't receive that blessing. Well, we've watched the Jews repeat this over and over and over and over again. And so uh, at one point, they're taken captivity by the Egyptians, and then eventually uh, they come to a point of repentance and and the Lord hears them, and he brings Moses to the Pharaoh, and they get released. But on the, the night before that they are to, like, leave, there's something big that happens. And the reason that uh, uh, they celebrate the Passover is because this was monumental for them. To this, you think about that. Literally thousands of years later, we're still celebrating the Passover, which is this week. So uh, watch the timing of this. If you think that the, that whole historical Bible thing is pretty amazing, watch the timing of this Passover thing because it's even more amazing. And we're not that point in the Gospels, but we obviously left Jesus at the temple last week when he went to celebrate Passover and it was literally the first time that he ever did it with some of his disciples not all of his disciples but some of his disciples and so today I thought it would be honorable as we move into this Easter week we know that today is Palm Sunday he rode into this road into Jerusalem ready to give his life we're not to that point in the story yet we're not to that point in the story. We're just simply at the Passover. So today, uh, I'm going to do the Passover, but I'm not going to tie it into the Scripture. Sorry. Because we'll do that again later when we get to that point in the story. But today, I would like the opportunity to explain to you the Passover. But first, let me ask you this question. What were your generation that's sitting here in this room talking about the complete generation remember the most about history 
What is it? What? 9-11. Like, again, it's part of that whole Ishmael Isaac thing, right? It still goes back to the Ishmael Isaac thing. But like 9-11, you think about the, the strategy of what went into all that. It wasn't like thought up of like in a week later we're going to pull this thing off. It was planned out for a long time. I even think that the date was significant, right? I mean, we we call 911 in case of emergency. Do you not think that they planned it on 911 for a reason? Like there was a lot of thought that went into that. And I totally believe this whole thing right here that we're going to talk about today that God thought about for a long time. <laughs> Maybe not, he's God. But the whole thing just works together. This works with us here today. It's kind of crazy, but this is, this is pretty amazing. So what happened is that the Jews were were told by Moses, he said, look, there's an angel of death that is coming and it's going to sweep over all of Egypt and it's going to kill the firstborn. And the only way that you're safe is if you take your lamb as a sacrifice, that you slit its throat, that you take the blood and that you put it over the door frame of your door. And this angel of death that night will pass over your house and your family will be safe. And at this point, the angel of death passed through and many of the Egyptian sons were, were, were killed. And finally, Pharaoh said, okay, go. Take your people and go. And so from this point on, this Passover, this Passover that God freed them because of this has been celebrated to this very day, this very week. They're still celebrating the Passover because it was memorable to them. Just like 9-11 will be memorable to you for the rest of your lives. You'll remember exactly where you were. It was a Tuesday morning. I was sitting at Panera with Keith. And I got up and I went to Northside and I sat with Mike and watched the whole thing play out. You'll never forget it. Just like they never forget the Passover. So here we go. I'll put this picture. This was a picture that we did uh, like five years ago. It's blurry. I, I get that. Uh, technology wasn't as grand as it is today. Uh, but this is the same setting that I have right here. This is what we call the Seder plate. And let me explain to you. I'm going to move my notes over here. Let me explain to you uh, what the Seder plate does. First of all, the actual word Seder means order. In Hebrew, there was an order to how we did this. And all the Jews use this same type of Seder plate. You can go, I got this at Amazon. It's that simple. They all use the exact same plate. And then I, I think it's interesting that the table was obviously not this high. It was actually low and they reclined. 
they actually laid down when they ate. You have pictures of Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples, and they're actually laying down. It says, it says John, or it says the beloved was laying in his bosom. But they're laying there, and there's a reason for that, because the slaves never sat down. They never, they never laid down. And we're representing we're free by laying down. So uh, now they recline in freedom. So obviously things changed after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. The Jews practiced this Passover. Mary, Joseph, Jesus did this Passover. They would come to Jerusalem every year and they would practice this Passover. They would have this meal together and they would sacrifice this animal together. It was a family tradition. The blood was poured out and it was a covering for their sins, an atonement for their sins. But now the temple's not there and that sacrifice can't be made. So they have this lamb shank bone. This is just a bone from, this one's not as fresh as that one in the picture right there. But there's a lamb shank bone, and all that does is represent what they no longer can do because the temple's not there. And it just sits there on the plate as a symbol, as a symbol of what used to happen. In today's Passover, many families will use a roasted chicken, and they will actually eat the chicken. Because they ate the lamb, they ate the lamb that night of the Passover as their meal before they took off. And then uh, the first thing that they did was they would light these two candles because the Passover meal happened at nighttime. As soon as dusk hit, they had this dinner. And they lit these two candles. Then the first one is the Kaddish. This is the Kaddish cup. And it was the first cup of wine. It was the cup of blessing. They said this blessing it to sanctify the whole Passover meal. Now, you could drink this, but you could not take a second one until after the meal was ready to be eaten. So the Kaddish was the first one. It was a blessing. It was a sanctification. If you go to the Last Supper, the Lord took the Kaddish with the disciples, and then he set it down, and he actually went and did what? He washed their feet. He washed their feet after the Kaddish. And then the second thing is the Urkots. It was the washing of hands. They had this bowl of water and they would simply wash their hands and dry them off and now uh there was a method to this they didn't just wipe them on their pants there was a whole method to this about washing their hands and uh if you were a pharisee that washing of the hands got really messy because they got so legalistic about it that they had to wash with a certain hand there's like literally i didn't I do have my book. It's over there. But there's this big, thick book, and it has rules about how you wash your hands and how the water run, you let the water run down to cleanse yourself. But that's not really the law. That's not God's law. That's all part of the Pharisees' oral law that they made up. So the second thing was to wash their hands. The third thing was the carpus. 
This was the eating of green vegetables. The parsley that is on the plate was a symbol of this. It's kind of like a symbol of the hyssop. A hyssop, they would take this and they would dip it into this other bowl that was like salt water. And the hyssop was, I've got curly parsley, not the flat leaf parsley, but it's to symbolize the hyssop that was used to dip in the blood and put the blood over the door of the Passover. And so then you have the green vegetables that they would partake in. They dipped it in salt water for a reason. Because the salt water represented the tears that flowed during the whole slavery period. And also, uh, some believe that that salt water also represents God's parting of the Red Sea. The fourth step was the yakets. It's the breaking of the middle matzah. The matzah was this bread that was had no yeast in it, had no leavener in it, because there wasn't time for it to rise. They were in a hurry to get out of Egypt. And so in the current Passover, there's this matzah bread that is rolled up, and they literally would take the middle bread out. I think I've got that. They would take this middle bread out, and they would break it. And then they would take half of this, take half of this, and they would go hide it. The father would like literally go hide this piece of matzah, and then he would return the other half into the rest of the bread. There's a reason for that later. We're going to go hide this. No, you don't have to go hide it. Just hold it. You could hide it, but it all plays out here in a little bit. Uh, that all happens during the third cup. Don't let me forget. The, the Megid was the Passover story. This was when the usually the dad would come and he would actually tell the story from rote memory. He would talk about what I just explained to you about how the Jews were taken into captivity and they would go through all the all the different uh, uh, things that they had to, to suffer through, the Egyptians had to suffer through. And uh, so the actual Passover story was not read out of the Mishnah, but it was told from Abraham to Jacob. They would tell this story. And it was the liberation of the enslavement from the Jews. And so then they would partake in this second cup as the Passover story was told. That's the Majid. Obviously, I'm having to read this because I'm not Jewish, and I don't typically do the Passover. The sixth thing is the Rakzah. It's, again, the washing of the hands. Once again, they went to the bowl, dipped their hands, and simply that's all they did was they dipped their fingers into the water. The seventh was the Matzi. It was the blessing of, of he who brings forth bread from the earth. This is the current practice of bringing forth the bread that's eaten before the main meal. So they had this bread that they would partake of and eat this bread before 
anything else that happened. And they would say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then the eighth stage would be actually the matzah, the eating of a small piece of matzah from the middle of the matzah. Each participant takes a small piece of this middle upper matzah, and they all would recite, Blessed are you, O Lord, your God, ruler of the universe, who commanded us concerning the eating of the matzah. It points really to the swiftness of the Jews leaving Egypt. And then the ninth step was the bitter herbs. Again, they used something like parsley or, no, actually they used this uh, horseradish. That's what it was. You see this pile of white stuff right here. That's a horseradish. And I don't know, I actually like scooped that out here this morning. You know, I like horseradish, but it's, it's so strong, but it's so bitter as well. And they had this blessing over this bitter herb, but the itter, this bitter herb was also dipped in what we call a cheroset, which is this right here, this cheroset, which is in the middle. This is basically made up of today of apples, cinnamon, nuts. Uh, I don't know what else Michelle put in here, apple juice. What else did you put in there? Clove. Oh, you made it really nice. But it was to... It, and it looks really nice. I have a whole bowl of it here if you'd like to taste it later. But it's fresh apples. But it was to symbolize a paste that, again, also brought tears as they remembered walking through the Red Sea. And it was, again, eaten with the matzah. And then the tenth one is the korich, the sandwich. The korich means combining. You take two pieces from the bottom matzah, with the cheriset on one piece and then the bitter herb on the other, and it's eaten as a sandwich. Cheriset and mar replaced the lamb. They didn't have a lamb, so it was replaced, and it was actually eaten without any blessing. The eleventh was the shokan. It's the eating of the main meal. This was like, finally, the kids are like going, we went through all this stuff, finally we can eat dinner. And today they actually fix a pretty... It's like our Thanksgiving meal. It's a big meal. It's one that is like everybody pitches in, and it's a, a pretty cherished deal. But the main meal is eaten. There's no specific menu for that. But in Moses' day, it was the actual roasted lamb that they ate, and it was uh, required. Uh, then there was also this uh, roasted egg. This roasted egg was known as the chigiga. Chigiga. And this roasted egg was offered at 9 a.m. on Passover day. Since there uh, was no temple, the egg was offered in replacement of the lamb. It is dipped in salt. As the sacrifices were salted, one should not eat or drink too much so they can enjoy the rest of the meal. And then uh, 12 was the savan. It's the eating of the off-common, which again is this bread. And Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper with the communion of this point. So the 12th step is actually when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And it's that hidden practice where they take the third cup 
and they bless it, but then they send the child off to go find the hidden, like the dad's hidden, and it actually becomes a game for the child, where they go and find the hidden piece of bread, and they bring it back, and they actually stick it back into the middle of this. The uh, 13th is the Barak. It's the grace that's said over that third cup uh, that it's just a blessing, asking for uh, the, uh, the unredeemed uh, Jew uh, for the future redemption of the Jews when the Messiah is going to come. Then the 14th is the Hallel. We're almost done. We only have two more steps. The Hallel, it's the actual singing. They would sing from Psalm chapter 113 through 118. They would sing uh, that, and that's still a current practice, that they would sing that. And remember what Jesus said as he said to, it says in the Scripture that they sing and they left, right? It's like one of the last things that they did. And then uh, ver, or the 15th thing that they did was the nurza. It means accepted. It was the modern-day edition. Someone states that God is pleased with how the Seder is performed, and they drink the final cup. There is a fifth cup that many place out there, and some do not, but they believe that that fifth cup actually represents Elijah, that someday Elijah will return. So that cup is to remember Elijah. You know, since uh, that probably happened uh, as an addition, probably around 600 A.D. that they added that fifth cup. Now, that's that. That's the Passover meal. And for the timing, us as Christians is this. We know that at 9 a.m. that they brought their sacrifice to the temple. And let me read to you a little bit about what that sacrifice actually looked like. The sacrificial animal, which was either a lamb or a goat, was necessarily a male, one year old and without blemish. Each family or society offered one animal together, which did not require the simica, the laying on of hands, although it was obligatory to determine who were to take part in the sacrifice that the killing might take place with the proper intentions. This is all about the family sacrifice at 9 a.m. The sacrificial service took place in the courtyard of the temple at Jerusalem. Strictly speaking, slaughtering could be performed by a layman, but in practice was performed by the priest. The blood had to be collected by a priest, and rows of priests with gold or silver cups in their hands stood in line from the temple court to the altar where the blood was sprinkled. These cups were rounded on the bottom so that they could not be set down, for in case the blood might coagulate. The priest, who caught the blood as it dropped from the animal, then handed the cup to the priest next to him, receiving from him an empty one, and the full cup was passed along the line until it reached the last priest who sprinkled its contents on the altar. The lamb was then hung upon special hooks or sticks and skin, but if the eve of the Passover fell on a Sabbath, the skin was removed down to the breast only. The abdomen was then cut open, and the fatty portions intended for the altar were taken out, placed in a vessel, salted, and offered by the priest on the altar, while the remaining entrails likewise were taken out and cleansed. Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? 
I mean, think about it. <laughs> think about it if all the families in here did that. You got like this bloody mess everywhere. But you got thousands and thousands of families coming and doing this. You're talking about like hot, flies, nasty. It's not as cool as this. But they did this annually. And then it came to the the one sacrifice. The paschal sacrifice. Only those who were circumcised and clean before the law might participate. And they were forbidden to have leavened food in their possession during the act of killing the paschal lamb. The animal was slain on the eve of the Passover on the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan, and after the Tamid sacrifice had been killed. At 3 o'clock, or in case of the eve of Passover fell on Friday, at 2. They got very specific about the timing of when this sacrifice was made. And watch this. I even saw this. They want to continue this practice so bad, the Jews do. That in 2016, last year, Jewish activists pushing for a third temple in Jerusalem. Remember, you had first Solomon's temple, then Herod's temple. Now they're wanting to rebuild a third temple. And it will be rebuilt someday. But Jewish activists pushing for a third temple in Jerusalem attempted to ascend the Temple Mount carrying baby goats intended to be used by a Passover sacrifice on Friday afternoon as they do every year. Jerusalem police detained ten suspects in the old city for interrogation and seized four sacrificial goat kids. You see, the Jews are still waiting on the Messiah. They're still wanting to make this sacrifice. And the truth of the matter is, it's already happened. It's already happened. That Jesus came and said, I am that lamb. I'll pour out my blood for your sins. For not only the atonement of your sins, yes, I'll cover your sin, but not only that, I'll forgive your sin as if it never happened. I will make you perfect. I will make you holy. I will make you redeemed. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. Guess what time Jesus actually died on the cross? Two o'clock. Because Friday, it was Friday. And at that very hour that the Paschal Lamb was to be sacrificed, Jesus died on the cross. You see, the timing of it was thought out long ago. The whole Passover thing, how it happened in Exodus, comes all the way through the New Testament to that very day when Jesus was crucified at the right time at the exact time 
of the sacrifice. And so today, we come here, we don't do all this, one, because you're not a Jew. <laughs> Just like uh, the Ten Commandments weren't given to you, they were given to the Jews, the Passover was given to the Jews. But we have the ability today to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to take that opportunity today to realize that this week, this very week that everybody around the world, that even in the Middle East where all the struggle is going on, they're still going to go to Jerusalem. They're still going to go to that place. They're still going to try to like make their sacrifices this week. And in Hebrews said, not even the blood of bulls and goats can do what the blood of our Savior has done. And today, we get to come here as a family and remember what our Father has done for us. That He gave His life. That His blood was poured out. Not only that, but he was buried and he rose again and he went to heaven and he sat down and said, it's done, I'm resting. I'm resting. I'm resting. There's, there's nothing more that I can do for you as a person. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And so today, we honor and we celebrate the memorial of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then I've got these different locations. I'm going to ask some of you to just help man this. It's not that difficult to do. But we've got the bread and the juice, the wine, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we want you to come to the table. We want you to get a piece of bread. Take as much as you want. I don't care. Enjoy it. The kids, like... They don't have to take a little bit. Let them have a chunk. <laughs> I mean, the disciples, they were eating a meal, right? They were just eating bread. And we're really here to celebrate what Jesus has done. It's not like, as I was saying earlier, it's not this, uh, it's not a time of mourning for me. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of what he's already done for me. So let's celebrate what Christ has done. Let's enjoy what Christ has done. That's what he came to do. He came here so that we might have life and might have it abundantly. But if you take a piece of bread and part of the juice and bring it back, and we'll participate together as we take that together. So I'm going to let you uh, get up as soon as I pray, and uh, we'll, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you that we can just come here together as a family. And, uh, Lord, that we truly understand the timing that you have as it's all played out. What a beautiful story. That you are the sacrifice. That you are the lamb. That your blood is the blood of forgiveness. That your body is the body that gives us life today here on earth. And that we can enjoy it. So today, Father, as we partake, may you continue to watch over us and guide us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and, and join with us? There's a station here, station there, station over there.
desperate to see the beauty of your face. We're longing to know the wonders of your grace. Your love is that you take this piece of bread whatever size you got there and uh, one, just realize what Jesus did his body wasn't broken no bone was broken but he did give up his life and the thing is is that it was buried and then he rose again saying Hey, you can have life. You can have life. In fact, you can have life so abundantly if you just let me do it through you. I'll do it for you. I'll take care of you. Promise you, I'll take care of you. And so today, Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you have given it up for us so that we may have abundant life. And in that, we give you thanks and praise.
It's in Jesus' name. And then Jesus took the cup. Man, I'll take one of these. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Jesus took the cup, and it's one they were probably all drinking out of, one of these for the Passover. And he passed it around to the disciples. He goes, I want you. It was actually this one. He says, I want you to take this cup and I want you to like drink out of it together. And I, when you drink of it, I want you to understand that my blood will be poured out for you. And the disciples are all looking at him like, what in the world are you talking about? Like they really had no clue. But today, because of Christ in you, because of Christ in you, you understand when you take of this juice right here, the forgiveness that was given by us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's a beautiful thing today to know that I can sit here and I'm totally forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future. So, Father, I thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. What a joyous occasion. We come here today and we give you thanks and honor for making us holy, redeemed, righteous children of God. It's in your holy name we pray. And then I close with reading this passage of Scripture. Jesus is like sitting there with the disciples. He's gone through the whole Passover meal. And they literally are freaking out because they know that their friend that they've hung out with for three years, their Messiah, their Savior, is getting ready to go and die. And here's what he says to his buddies. These young men that are getting ready to be amazing with the gospel. He says, peace, I leave with you. I'm like, relax, fellas. In the midst of the storm, relax. I want you to have peace. Just breathe. Just breathe. Calm down. My peace I give to you. <laughs> I, I say this all the time. It's like, I pray for the peace that comes from the Father above because my peace and His peace, two different things. Lord, let it be your peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's not the same kind of peace. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You've heard me tell you, I'm going away, and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer, because the ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world, the evil one, is coming. I'm about to die at the hands of the evil one. He has no power over me. I'll prove it. He says, I'll prove it. On the contrary, 
I'm going away so that the world may know that I love the Father, just as the Father commanded me, so I do. Get up. Let's leave this place. And they got up, and they went down this little rocky path to the Garden of Gethsemane, where it all unfolded. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you uh, gave your son Jesus. This week, as the rest of the world celebrates, may we uh, truly understand that this is an everyday deal. It's not just Easter. It's not just Good Friday. That you're an everyday deal. That you love us, that you've forgiven us, and that we are redeemed because of the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for today that we can just celebrate you and remember you and honor you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray.